0: Uh, It's so good to see you guys. hope you guys are having an an amazing morning. It's hard not to have an amazing morning. It feels so stinking good outside, does it not? It feels amazing outside. So uh, excited about that. It's good to have you with us. If this is your first time here at Fathom, let me just tell you how great it is to have you. We really hope you um, encounter just a a family um, of God, the the family of God, that we're brothers and sisters here. And we're just, um, we're not perfect. Um, We confess that regularly, that we're not perfect. But uh, we're pursuing just the, the righteousness of God. We're pursuing more of His heart and what He can do in and through us. And we think the end has got to happen before the through happens. And so uh, God's just purifying us from the inside out. We're just excited that you're here. Hope you're having a great uh, experience today and just get a chance to grow in your faith, grow in family, and meet some new folks. And so uh, we've been in this, on this journey for the past couple of weeks uh, called relationship sailing, um, if you will. And, and so today we're going to go a little bit further in that. And I remember in my 11th grade philosophy class, yes, I took philosophy in 11th grade, I know that's ridiculous, but I took philosophy in 11th grade, and I was more of a pseudo-philosopher at at this uh, stage, and probably still am, but uh, I remember this question that our cynical professor asked us, and he said, is there such a thing as a selfless act? And he just asked the question, that's what you do in philosophy class, you ask a question, then you try to rip it apart and prove that our brains hurt after it's over with. And so he asked this question, is there such a thing as a selfless act? And for a 16, 17-year-old class, like everything we do is selfish. We don't know what it is to not be selfish at that age. Mostly that's all we've ever lived. And I remember this question us kind of being stumped. And uh, it was just kind of this conversation for an hour uh, from this professor. and, And he was super cynical about everything, as many philosophy professors are. And, um, and I remember it was just kind of a real pessimistic way he almost asked it. And I think many of us, we would answer it probably a little bit pessimistically too. Yeah, like everything we do is selfish. Like we open the door for, you know, uh, someone and like what do we get out of it? We get something out of it, right? We feel better about ourselves. Like we scratch somebody else's back, so they'll turn around and scratch our back. Um, there's always something that we get out of it, and it's super easy to see the like, glass like you know half empty and like kind of pessimistic about that. But I also think there's this, there's something there that God's created, this beautiful return for a life of service, and and so it's hard to define that. And you could say, okay, we're just like Pavlov's dog that we've just been trained and we do it. Well, maybe God's built it that way for a really beautiful purpose, and for us to. Be encouraged as we give, because any of you that have traveled overseas or you've given anything of, of any energy or time or whatever, like there's there's usually it's a draining, but you kind of feel filled up, like you feel more expended in the physical realm, but encouraged in the spiritual realm. And so there's something beautiful about this, and there's a lot of things that we need to, to dive into. So today we're going to dive into to service our, our core value. Over the past three weeks, we've been looking at David's relationships and we've been kind of uh, paralleling them with our core values. Unconditional love, the relationship between David and Jonathan, and just the real brotherhood they experienced. They, they loved each other from the beginning. They had this like-minded character that kind of withstood the test of time. And then we looked last week at David and Bathsheba, so we're kind of jumping all over the map of, of, uh, chronologically, and, and, and David and Bathsheba in this great, or this kind of miserable moment for this great king, in which he decides to be a little bit lazy, and, and didn't make himself accountable to his, his family, like his, the brothers, the guy he was fighting with, to, to the accountability there, the responsibility, the ministry that God had, had brought him to for, instead he stayed in bed and it ended up costing him pretty dearly. And today we're going to look at service, our third core value, and all these kind of blend together and just make up really the life of a disciple, to be known by God and and his unconditional love, and that transforms us in in this beautiful community that there's God the Father and there's kind of mother church that's nurturing us along the way. And then today we look at service, and um, we're going to look at the life of David and really his relationship with Saul. And it was kind of a bumpy road, so to speak, and and it didn't get started that way, so we're going to dive into that and just kind of give you a little context on where we're picking up, because I'm jumping all over the map during this series. We're jumping all over different parts of his life. And really, where, where we're going to jump in is pre-David and Goliath, like, you know, a little bit before David and Goliath. Um, but it's, it's obviously way before he's a king. The king, ha- like David's kind of reign as king is, is really recorded in Second Samuel. We're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, mostly today, really tracking the kind of the start from David in the field till Saul's death. Is kind of where we're going to be tracking. So just to catch you up on where we're at. So we're going to go to First Samuel chapter 13 is where we're going to begin today. We're going to begin and just discuss service and what real service looks like. Um, and so let's pick up here, First Samuel chapter 13, beginning with verse 13 and 14. Uh, you've done a foolish thing. There's this guy named Samuel. He's a prophet. He's a prophet of God. He's a good prophet. There's good uh, prophets and there's false prophets. He's a good one. Uh, you've not kept the command. He's speaking to Saul here. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Like Samuel's saying, hey, if you would have walked right with the Lord, like you could have been king forever. You could have been Israel's only king. Your reign, it could have passed to your son and gone on and on, but you haven't kept the command. There's disobedience here. Verse 14. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So this is not the only time in which Saul disobeyed. This is like time two, three. He disobeyed a lot and his heart had become hard towards God, and God is basically, in, in a few chapters, going to kind of begin to remove his spirit from him, not kind of, he's going to remove his spirit from him and kind of give him over to his own desires and his own disobedience. Same thing happens with us, and I think really what's starting here, what I want to highlight is here in verse 14, uh, of less of, of of Saul's relationship here uh, with the Lord, but David is a man after, who, who would, uh, 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 Samuel would go on to anoint in a few chapters. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. So we begin to look at service, and just to give you a little background on David's life, David was, um, he was the youngest in his family. Like, you go to chapter 16, which we'll look at here in just a second. We won't read the whole chapter. Look at chapter 16. He's the youngest in the family, and and culturally, that meant a lot for what David understood about service. Um, But I, I don't think I think there's an interesting relationship of David's heart and his family order in this time and just how God purified that in the work that he was doing as a shepherd. So it's very interesting. So really the first thing we're going to get at today that we see here is that service is a matter of the heart. First point, service is a matter of the heart. Because in David's family, like, in fact, he was was the youngest. And so now, like, in our culture, youngest means they're the baby. They get all the special treats, like, from the grandparents, right? Some of you guys are that. You get a little extra spoiled. Like here, it was like you you ate at the table last. You didn't eat at the table first. Like it went like oldest ate first and then like down the line and the youngest ate last. Like they were the closest to being treated like a slave of anybody in the family. And so if, if maybe you were that person, wherever your birth order was, maybe you were that person in your family. Like you just, everything got turned to you and it got dumped to you. And like your heart probably grew hard towards some of your siblings. And like there was a chance for David to have his heart go in that direction. And especially because what was his role? His, his role was not cleaning the house or working on some fun stuff with dad, like his, his father Jesse. No, he was sent to the fields to be by himself to watch sheep. I mean, it's like, you know, you start getting the list, and like, hey, tell me to do this, tell, like, like, delegate to us, like you're on a team or something. And then, like, the last one, like, the sheep? Like, you're gonna send me out to hang out with the sheep? And, and it was kind of long, boring work, which made him really good at guitar. All you homeschoolers out there, if there's any homeschoolers, I feel like every homeschooler I meet is incredible at guitar. I don't know why, like they, I guess because they have a lot more time just at home to be able to learn English and play guitar at the same time. Um, anyway, so he got really good at guitar at Lair um, through this, but I think it started with the heart, and, and wherever you're at, like in, in your family birth order, like that's really where we begin to learn service from. I think he he learned it, part of it being in his family, but it was the dedication and humility uh, and his relationship with God, and that faithfulness that happened in the field when no one was watching. And I believe it started with his heart, why God would raise him up, is is there there was this life of humility. So I believe that service can be learned, I believe that service can be learned, but I believe it's the most wholly understood in our understanding that Christ served us first. I believe that's where it's most wholly understood and that Christ's service is what has transformed, and, and that begins to transform everything about our thought process. So, so you may have like some understanding of, of what service looks like. Uh, let, let me put it like this: like some of you guys, like if Dad never served Mom, Dad never helped at all at home in any way, like whatever, or maybe his service. And I'm not talking about gender roles, like Dad does this, Mom does that, and dad... I'm talking about genuine service, like dad never served mom. Like guys in this room, like chances are when you begin to date, you get married, or if you're in that place right now, like you're probably not going to do those things. Because you have learned that. And and so that'll be your starting point. But all of us, every single one of us, male, female, regardless of birth order, regardless of what culture you've come to, are called to be like Jesus. And so we begin to understand service by what Christ did for us and laying down his life and he gave it for us. And that's where we begin to learn that, okay, then Christ has called me to to lay it down as well and live sacrificially and serve. So I I think that's where it's most holy understood. that's got to be our starting place, regardless of what real cultural starting place or familial starting place we actually have in our understanding of service. It's got to be Jesus and beginning with the heart. And that's where it begins to, to be transformed. And that's really what God's looking for out of us Today is so so it 's so easy for us to get caught up in all this stuff to do like i 'm going to start from the place of this is my gifting, so I need to serve here or this is the time I have so I need to serve here, or I need to, to do this. We get caught up in all these kind of specific conversations and we forget the whole purpose that we serve from the heart that Jesus served us first, and that's where it starts and that 's what we see in david that 's what we see in this life that God saw this before he was ever there, and, and I think it, it's so interesting. I believe his potential was recognized by Saul because later in this chapter we're going that, that like he, f- um, uh, to, to him, we're gonna see that Saul brings him into his palace. Like He's looking for someone to play music for him and we're going to see that Saul brings him into his palace here in just a couple of chapters. But we're seeing the faithfulness there that, that brought him incredible favor. So his potential was recognized by people, but it wasn't realized. And some of us are in that place. And I think that has to do with seasons, which is really the next thing we're going to look at in chapter 16. So David really started from this place of, of just wholehearted, kind of heart connected um, to the Lord, a, a heart that pleased him, that was after his own heart, and Saul was, in his disobedience, didn't have that heart. And so God began to uh, transition things, and the cool thing about this is that David found incredible favor with God through his humility and, and, and consistency. He, there was... He not only found favor with God, but he found favor with man, again, that Saul would bring him up. So if you're in a place and like, your potential might be recognized, someone said, Hey, I, I see this in you, or, or you, know, you know that you have this potential in you. Like, Stay hum, uh, humble, stay faithful, stay consistent, you know, and, and work hard. And, and it'll bring you favor, not just with God, but with, with man as well. And that's what we see like in this relationship between David and Saul, is to stay consistent so we're all looking for opportunities, right? We're always looking kind of to, quote-unquote, move up or, or, or make a bigger impact or have an influence. Some of us aren't, aren't interested in that. But I think most of us, we want opportunity. And I think what brings that opportunity for David here is that faithfulness, that consistency when no one else is watching. Because the truth of the matter is that we can get favor with man by serving on the outside, like, we can't. We can be a good worker, and everybody's real impressed with how hard we work, and, and they're always there on time. They can be impressed with all that stuff. We will gain some temporary, some, some um, worldly gain and favor, but if our hearts aren't turned, we'll never gain eternal favor. We'll never gain uh, the favor of God if our hearts are not connected to it. And so that'll begin to play out as we look into this. So let's go to chapter 16. And this is where things begin to get a little bit intense in their relationship. So the relationship kind of starts in this place of, you know, boy in the field, bring him in here. And we pick up here at verse 13, and Samuel, uh, actually right after that chapter 13, um, Samuel would tell Saul, hey, you're not going to, I mean, that's what he was telling there, you're not going to be king anymore. Uh, That's kind of a hard conversation to bring as a prophet there. And then chapter 16 is really when David's going to be anointed as king is what we see right here. So Samuel took the horn of a, a oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. This is a humbling thing for his brothers. He's the youngest in the family, the little brothers now about to be king. Like this was a big deal and he's making this kind of big jump to to the front in everybody's mind like oh like we used to pick on him, like we ain't picking on him anymore or he can like have a sentence to death. If he wants to. And from that, day, uh, uh, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. God's favor came powerfully. The Spirit of the Lord. Samuel then went to Ramah. Verse 14. Why did he go to Ramah? Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Again, and there's, in, there's some important things for us to begin to digest theologically in this text right here. A lot to digest. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from so what 's being said here, because we talk about un- unconditional love of the Father, yeah, but the spirit of the Lord and his presence like active in our life is it- different from his love for us um, and-, and I think it goes with his favor and his covering like and when we begin to disobey and remove ourselves in um, and- our disobedience like he 's shown that love he 's shown that grace, and we remove ourselves from that, begin to disobey like it 's like with parents like parents in the house, like your kids. Acting a fool, you don't reward that behavior. You know, um, if, you, if you're uh, a boss of some sort and you've got a, a list of employees and you need someone to, to do something and you got to have it done, you got to have it done the right way, you don't put the person that shows up late, you don't put the person that never kind of keeps in step with the, the rules of the company, they're a liability, and so God's the same way. And so he removes, he removes his spirit the favor of God, the covering of God, his spirit working um, from Saul had departed from him. And, and when that covering is removed, and, and we're going to have to go to the Hebrew here to have an understanding, because I, I think some of the English translations make it really tough. A majority of them make it really tough. So I, I'm going to the Hebrew and telling you what it says in the Hebrew here. An evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Because if we begin to read this, we're like, wait a second, I thought God was good. And evil spirits... Is God sending people's way and like what does this say about the goodness of God? And we can get into some deep, deep theological stuff here, and I'd love to on another day, because it's just not the point of this message. But what it's saying here, evil, spirit, Lord, is really the three words that show up. It's ra, ruach, Elohim. It means ra is an adjective to describe what kind of spirit it is. It it could mean bad, it could mean evil, it could mean harmful, it could mean tormenting. It could mean a lot of different things. Some will, like you look at translations and it'll say any of those words. So when it says evil, it it could mean just a harmful spirit, like this idea, and, and that was very spiritualized in the Hebrew world. Um, as it is now. Uh, evil spirit, ruwak is the same word that we hear, spirit of the Lord hovering out over the waters. That's the same word there. So it's an adjective of that, of the Lord, Elohim. Again, Elohim is used to describe God on a regular basis. It's used throughout this. The Hebrew word Yehovah, or, or what we would translate as Jehovah, is also used in this text to, to talk about God and him removing his spirit here. But Elohim can actually be used multiple ways as well. It doesn't always have to mean God. It could be used to um, describe a lowercase God, like a lowercase g God. It could be uh, described as a, a, a demon of some sort or some kind of evil spirit. So there's a, a lot we could get in here, but here's two non-negotiables that I would say because of the whole, um, the whole base of Scripture and, and our view of Scripture throughout from beginning to end is the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. I would say as we begin to look at those scriptures and we look at the Hebrew and what's being said here, I think those are kind of non-negotiable, is that the goodness of God is at play, and that sometimes, whether it's a harmful spirit or it's an evil spirit of the Lord, and that God's sovereign, God knows what he's doing. As this plays out, God knows what he's doing in his goodness to bring his sovereign, his purpose to pass. And so I think we can rest in that, that God is good and God is sovereign in what he's doing Um, and and he knows best, and that he had, and again, Saul had continued in this pattern of disobedience. So go with me, with all that being said, back to um, uh, right here, and what I would say to us is that uh, as this text goes on, what we'll see that, again, David begins to be tormented, like, and some have described it as, um, you know, he, he had voices in his head, that he had these fits of anger, that he might have had some kind of um, a mental disorder of some point after the Lord removed his spirit from him. Um, I, I think just not having this spirit, I mean, living in, in an evil world, I think removing God's spirit, that in itself can torment and, and make it t- tough for us to understand. Um, but here he was facing all of these things, so he brings, he needs somebody to soothe him to play guitar or something. And so David begins to draw favor, and he comes to serve the king for a short time, and he sends word back, he's like, Can he stay here longer? He, to his dad, he's like, I'd like to keep him here longer because he served faithfully. What I think is, is really interesting here, and I think it's worth us highlighting when it comes to service, and David would now have this opportunity where he was in the fields, nobody was recognized as his potential, and like he was doing sheep, and now he's playing guitar, like doing another skill set, another gift that he has. And who is he called to serve? He's called to serve the king, so he's not serving sheep anymore and serving his family. Now he's serving a king of the nation. It's a big deal. And so you can see these seasons in his life. And again, who is that person that is king? It's the person who's going to go on to pursue him and try to kill him. Like we looked at this in the first week in chapters 18 through 20, that Saul, like, sh- you know, chucked a, a javelin and a spear at David on several occasions and tried to kill him. The guy who was playing guitar, trying to soothe him, and the scriptures say at this very end of this chapter, that it, it, soothed, it soothed Saul every time David played. Like, the Spirit of God on David made an impact. I'd say that if you walk in that faithfulness and consistency and your heart is, is set on God, like, there is a spirit within you, as much as it was removed from Saul, it was placed on David to have an impact in that service. That it made an impact even to those that were doing evil, those that their hearts were turned from God. It made an impact on him to soothe him during those times. In that short window, it did. And then Saul would flip out and he'd chuck more stuff at him. But this is the man he's called to serve. Talk about purifying the heart. I think that was absolutely doing that. And so I think we've got to understand that service is a lifelong journey, but there's very specific seasons for it. And sometimes we'll be using our gift to tend to sheep, and sometimes we'll be using our gift to play guitar. We've got to understand there's these different seasons of our life in which God wants to, to use us, to impact maybe even those that are persecuting us, that will give us favor and then persecute us. It's a crazy situation here. But you know, you never know what sides kind going of to come from and what the purpose of it. And that's, I guess what I would say, would say in this is that Chances are, like, whatever the season is, there's a reason for this season. There's a reason for this season. And I think a lot of us, this can be encouragement to to many of us that maybe our potential is recognized but not realized, um, not played out as we think it should, knowing that this season is important and and not wanting to run past the season or go to the previous season, but embracing the season that you're in. Because chances are it's for a reason. For David, like, in this, like, God was teaching him things in the field that he would need when he was in the palace. And he was teaching things when Paul and when Saul was persecuting him and trying to kill him. He was teaching him things then that he would need when he was a king. So don't rush past the season. Enjoy the season. And I think we often think that, oh, um, you know, one of the things when you're going through a lot that people say to you, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but, like, God only gives you just as much as you can handle or something like that. But I often think he doesn't give us, he doesn't give us, he doesn't give you more than what you can handle. But, and that's kind of talking about the outside, but I I would say on the inside, I I feel like that godly character isn't given to us to begin with, it's not provided, but it's perfected in the season. I think many times we can think, oh, I'll have patience for that. But really, the patience isn't there for this season. It's actually perfected during this season. It wasn't just provided. It wasn't just handed to you. That godly character of whatever that might be in your life, whether it's you know humility or whether it's your jealousy or your anger, whatever God's got you in this season for the, whatever reason that is, he's purifying some things in you. And you're in this season for a reason, and so just embracing that, and allowing that to enable you to fulfill the call that God's put in your life in this season. For David, again, that was serving the king. That was playing his guitar, using this gift. Whatever it is in whatever season, there's a reason for it. And it's perfected along and along. Um, I, I, I love the, um, um, just the idea of a community of people just beginning to... Can you, can you just imagine with me? Community of people just beginning to serve. Like how that would impact our relationships. How will that impact you this week like it, when you begin to embrace this season? As opposed to running past it and, and trying to get um, or, or go back to where you are or where you were. Um, just embracing this season and like going all in, being faithful when no one's watching and, and really serving uh, from our heart. Um, as this story goes on, like that was chapter 16 right there, which David would soothe him. Chapter 17 is David and Goliath, which we'll talk about next week. Chapter 18, David and Jonathan, which here's an interesting note here, chapter 18, David's been serving faithfully, and then we going back to our first week's message on David and Jonathan, David would hit a point in his life where he's, he's pouring out, he's pouring out, and he just needs someone to pour in. And I think all of us, that's what we were looking at in that first week, you need someone pouring into you. Who's pouring into you? Who's pouring into you? Obviously, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, pouring into us. But, but tangibly, friendship, God has put us together as a body of Christ to have one another, to have each other's back, the strong and the weak all together working for the cause of Christ. Um, And and so I think that's an interesting thing to note, that there is a season again where I think it's a consistent season where he needs that, um, where we all need that. And so chapter 18 through 20 is really that relationship with David and Jonathan, Saul trying to kill David. And we we skip forward a little bit, and we get to chapter 24, and we're going to read seven verses here. Seven verses where um, it's getting tough. I don't know if you've ever had anyone pursue you to kill you. I, I'm not making light of this. I mean, legitimately, the chances are pretty low that you've probably had someone pursue you and, and try to murder you. If some of you have been through that, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm not trying to make light of it. Chances are you haven't. But here in this text, we're going to find that David's being pursued not only by Saul, the king, but by 3,000 men. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. That sounds like a really cool place, the crags of the wild goats. Um, I like to visit the crags. Um, He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Like, get a picture of this. Like, 3,000 men pursuing you. Like, I I just begin to think in movie realms and a lot of this Old Testament stuff. Like, you just visualize, like, bam, like, 3,000 men pursuing you. You're in the desert. You are like massive underdog and, and here you are. Like, what can you hope for? Like, let's think military strategy, because I know all you guys love to think about military strategy. That's a joke. Uh, but let's think military strategy here. You're a massive underdog. I mean, even those of you that are history buffs, like, you look for a way to use it to your advantage, like, to take uh, an opportunity. And what's the best thing you could hope for is to come up behind the leader's back and kill him when he's not looking, when he's relieving himself of all things in a cave. It's kind of funny, but not really. Um... That's, like, the best thing you can hope for. Like, is this God drawing him in here? Like, what a crazy season he's going on in his life. People pursuing him, trying to kill him. And here it's, like, like this is, like, movie moment. Like, we feel like this is the end of the movie. Like, okay, end of the movie. He's just going to go up. He's got his sword. He's got his knife. He's going to kill him. And, and, like, the guys in the back are like, yeah, this is it. The game's over. Like, we're getting ready to, like, getting our, our stuff ready, getting our popcorn ready to leave the movies. And he just cuts A piece of the robe off. And everybody's like, ah, like, what are you doing? Like, the guys in the back of the cave were like, what, dude, this was your one opportunity to redeem yourself. This was the Lord's opportunity. He had created this for you. And David just cuts the corner of his robe off. If I'm back, I'm like, dude, that was your one opportunity. But look what he says next and what God was doing in this season, what he had purified in his heart afterward. David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe, not that he would have killed him, but he was upset with himself that he even cut his robe, and he says this in verse um, 6, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he's the anointed of the Lord, he still did not want to lay his hand on the king, because he was still king, he was still king, and we can like That can baffle us for hours. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and didn't allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. David would come out, and this would happen more than once, where David would let him live. He would spare his life. Where he had an opportunity and he didn't kill him. And in multiple times, every time, Saul acts on the outside like he's so repentant. He's like, I'm so sorry. You're such a better man. I mean, what would we do if we were in the Saul situation? You're like, thank you so much. You're the best person ever. I'm terrible. He says all these great things on the outside, but what happens? He does it again. He does it again. And David has another opportunity, and he's faithful again. God was working and purifying something in David's heart, and he was speaking volumes and having a, a huge impact and influence on those men there about what the type of man he was what God had done to his heart when no one was watching, now when people were watching, it mattered. And I'd say to us today, in our relationships right now, every single one of them, whether it's a marriage relationship, a significant other, whether it's your mom, your dad, your kids, whatever relationship, work relationships, remember this, like service is about him. It's not about them. Service is about him. It's not about them. Because what do we want to do all the time in our, our relationships? I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. And, and, it's hard, and it becomes this selfish thing. And again, we talked about that earlier. But service is about him and not, and not them. I heard it put this way um, uh, fr- from an old pastor. And, and he said that look, when I go in and I, I have a server at a restaurant, I don't tip based on their performance. I, based on my, I tip based on my character. And you say, well, that's not helping the world. That's not promoting, you know, good service. And I would say to that, like, yeah, but it's not helping your character to just do it when someone else, to respond from their thing. Because I think having a proper view of God, what Jesus did at the beginning, that heart stuff that we were talking about, and these seasons that we go through, God is perfecting our character through it. He's drawing us closer and closer to him where we'll be conscious stricken even like when we, we have our opportunity. David could have made it about Saul. If it would have been about Saul about that moment, dude would have been dead right then. But he did it. He made it about his relationship with the Lord because it's not purifying character if we're always just responding to other people's performance. It's about what Christ did for us and that's the place we serve from. That's the life we live from that we're responsible for. It's so easy to want to take on the responsibility for everybody else's actions. And let me tell you, I've been there and it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. I continue to encourage people for high expectations, to expect low expectations of them and high expectations for myself. And it's absolutely freeing. It's absolutely freeing because I'm just responsible for me and and how I serve the Lord. I can't be responsible for how they're chasing me, but I can be responsible when I've got the knife in my hand and I've got a choice. What am I going to do with it? And if you're in a marriage relationship right now, let, let me just speak this, or, or, or a dating relationship that's moving that way, like, regardless of where you come from, like, what, like, family history or, or, or what, you know, goes on in the relationship, whoever's giving more, like, it's not about them. It's about him. Men set the example. Ladies, follow Christ. Follow Christ. Follow the example of Christ to serve. And it, 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 I use it in premarital counseling of, of it just, it's this idea of building up a mountain before us. In all of our relationships, there's a mountain there of love that God's given us of, in our relationships to one another. And we each have a shovel in our hand and piles of dirt all over the world. And we can make a choice every single day to come and dig from the mountain and slowly but surely we can take from this, this journey together or we can build the mountain we can take a, a cho- uh, make a choice to serve, make a choice to put more on the mountain and build up. Quit keeping score. Like in your relationships, quit keeping score of the other employees and what they're doing and what they're not doing and what your, your husband's doing and what your wife's doing and, and what they're not doing and other people at church. Quit, quit keeping score because they may be pleasing on the outside. They may be not pleasing on the outside, but they may be pleasing on the inside or they may not be. God's looking at the heart. That's what he saw in David when no one else was watching. when No one else cared. He was the front of the family. And so in our lives here today, I, I mean, I, I would just say make it about him, not not about them. Because that purifies our character, whatever season we're in. I don't know where you're at. but I don't know what God's speaking to you right now. But I know he's speaking to every single one of us to take a step forward. Take a step forward in what it looks like to know the Lord. And, and to, to be changed and transformed closer and closer to him from his heart. To, to be a person, wouldn't you want to be a person that's a person after his own heart? A man, a woman after his own heart? I, I feel like that's something everybody in the room would be like, yeah, yeah, I do. And I think David gives us an incredible example of what that looks like in, in a lot of different seasons of his life. And the consistency that led through. The story would go on to finish. Saul would continue to pursue him. Saul would end up getting into battle with the Philistines and be hit with a, <laughs> um, some kind of javelin and being close to death. And his armor bearer at the time, he would just ask him to kill him. And it was an, honor, an honorable way for him to die so that they wouldn't have killed him, but he had killed himself. In that culture, that's what they understood. So I don't know where you're at. I don't, I don't know kind of what God's speaking to you, but I know every single one of us has relationships And every single one of us on a regular basis, probably a daily basis, we have an opportunity with a knife in our hand to make it about them or to make it about him. And uh, I've found that not only will God perfect us in those seasons, our godly character, but I I truly believe that um, more and more he'll, he'll bring favor into our lives, he'll bring his spirit into our lives to have an incredible impact. David David is heralded as the like the greatest leader Israel's ever known. Like Jerusalem is known as the city of David. Like the Im- the impact his lineage not Saul's but David's lineage be what Christ came from, the same line. The impact that he had on the world and like <laughs> he I hate to say it, but he was just like me and you. You say, well, no, man, he was king. He started as a shepherd, the youngest in his family from a nobody tribe. But it speaks about the heart of God and what he's looking for. He's not looking for someone that can impress on the outside and it's got it all. He's looking for a heart, when no one's watching. He's looking for someone that regardless of season, regardless of who is against them, they're faithful and they're confident who God's created them to be. And the influence that can happen from that will impact generations. So I don't know where you're at, but I know that there's probably a, at least a relationship that God can speak into right now and breathe life into. And, and I, I'm, I'm saying this to some of you. like Some of you are going to experience freedom these next few moments for some turmoil you've had It's felt like a tormenting spirit like Saul had, and maybe it's disobedience that's led you there. I don't want to get into all that, but there's going to be an experience of of, of freedom from whatever, you know, bondage in your emotional or relational life that there's been. I I just want us to pursue Christ, pursue his heart, and out of his goodness flows all of these things.